Collins. Anyway, anyway, uh, congratulations to Misha Collins for coming out as, as a straight man. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, no, the ship, it dies. No, no, Misha Dean or whatever. Dude, dude those... Misha Dean. What? what the fuck are you talking about? Uh, you know, Misha, Misha Collins and Dean Winchester. I forgot the actor's name. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gen, uh, gen, gendered ankles, I think? Something like that. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, that was hilarious, is that he joked that he was bisexual, and then all his fucking Fujoshi fans said, Oh my god, he's bisexual, just like Castiel. And then he was like, Oh, I'm like <laughs> a tweet thread that was so- Oh, sorry, guys. I'm actually um, straight. It it is awesome that the social pressures have made them him the like one man in the world that has to come out about being straight. That's that's pretty funny. Yeah, <laughs> that is that. This is why you don't spend like I I get why I, like I respect the grind of the, of the three supernatural guys for like mm-hmm. squeezing millions of dollars out of their Fujoshi fan base, but holy shit. Well, I mean, they had to squeeze a few other things to get there, if you know what I'm saying. No, they, no, they yeah, didn't. They did. That was the the kind of the point. point. <laughs> they yeah. had to pretend like they did. No, no, mostly Tumblr kids just projected it onto them. You know, you can't you can argue, you can't argue that the Supernatural writers were also kind of subtly like stringing them along a little bit. Because well, they the knew where the money happened was. to like Sherlock, where they were like, "Oh my God, he's got to be gay." And then, like a few times in the series, apparently Sherlock is like, oh, "Well, da da ba da hana, I'm not exactly straight." But, like they imply it, but it's like, no, no, no. He's just like, uh, yeah. he's just a douchebag. His sexuality yeah. is that he's an asshole. From what I remember, that's the my John sexuality. Fan, the John Locke fans really freaked out Benedict Cumberbatch. I think was the. Yeah, they wanted to like rip his face off. Yeah, yeah. They, that was that was when I was on Tumblr. I remember. Yeah, that. Uh, they really, I Ugh. think, freaked out Benedict Cumberbatch because he was like, "Why is all this porn being made out of me?" <laughs> God, it's man. The internet's always been bad. Every every time I start being like, "Oh, it's so bad right now," I I just have to. Think no, it's always to, been like, bad. Yeah, it's always. It's been like the bad. time, like. Everybody knows that Tumblr witch who stole, like, human bones to use in a ritual and sold them from, yeah. like, a cemetery in New Orleans because they flood all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was me. That was me. But it I, is I, the only, yeah, I did that. But it is the only place you can get werewolf pinups, so. <laughs> so, you know, you win some, you lose some. Yeah, it's, um... <laughs> but it's over and over, over and over. A beautiful vista over the city of Man, broken by a sudden storm, rendering the streets and flooding everything. Four brave hosts, one not exactly familiar with the city, but new, are sitting in a back alley <laughs> using uh, cardboard boxes for shelter because uh, all of the cryptocurrencies that they invested in 
have tanked so wildly that they're actually like they're literally bleeding money. You they like one of them tries to drink their own blood out of desperation and like sent coins start like flowing out of their hands because they're literally bleeding money. They just cannot keep you know, all my apes gone. Not all of our apes gone. <laughs> all of our grapes gone, too. We invested in grape coin, don't ask. Uh, but <laughs> four brave hosts brave the weather after their their beautiful crypto investments uh, have basically crashed and the market is dying. Out of the corner of they, their eyes, they see a, a huddled figure with uh, two revolvers crouching in the corner uh, muttering something about uh, buying Twitter next week, and the next week, and the next week, <laughs> and the next week, <laughs> and the next week, and the next week. Josiah, this man uh, puts you off somewhat. Yeah, he does. Oh, oh uh, uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm Josiah, I guess, the crypto investor who is disturbed by the, the golem-like Elon Musk with two <laughs> revolvers. <laughs> I guess <laughs> that's that's me. Uh, I just I, I throw a rock at him and, and say, go away. Uh, uh, you betrayed me. Uh, <laughs> uh, he, he bought those two revolvers with the last of his cum coin. <laughs> I, I, what did I say about sex? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Finch, okay. Finch, this man also disturbs you as he starts uh, dual wielding revolvers and shooting at the rock Josiah threw at him wildly missing every shot because he is a huckster yeah that's male manipulator behavior i'm not that even I right there yeah. in crypto these two took all of my assets and decided to invest in them <laughs> without my permission yeah because i assume in in mammonberg the capitalist dystopia they've reverted back to women not having right over their own bank account so that's that's been kind of the thing. So, but it's not just like it defaults to a husband, or uh, it's just any guy can control yeah. the bank. <laughs> any guy who asks nicely can control the bank account. So Phil no, and I like no, no. Went, went to the bank and we're like, "Hey, so we, so yeah, can we just switch this money for crypto." <laughs> Jackal's not with us. Uh, he he uh, he decided that a uh, crypto investment was a Yakubian science. And uh, yeah. completely, completely shirked us. Said that he was going to reinvest a few million dollars from uh, his investments in Buffalo Wild Hands to do something productive. Yep, yep, yep. And and but we'd managed to sucker in uh, a fourth uh, Yakubian <laughs> menace who uh, it's not decided even, okay. to it's not even. That's but that's the joke. Okay. Just introduce our guest, please, Phil. We have a Keanu, not of the Reeves variety. Uh, <laughs> hello, hello. I'm very happy to be here. How, oh, how does, how's your back alley Elon Musk experience, uh, Keanu? <laughs> I think he's I think he's starting to scratch at his skin, to which he has the the imprinted images of a board eight yaw club. Just like etched into his skin. Oh gosh! Just like a bunch of apes, so that he can be the physical, the physical ledger, the physical bit uh, blockchain to which all apes are inscribed upon. <laughs> that's, that's the extent of my response, right there. <laughs> 
Uh, no, Keanu has been so nice, uh, nice enough to join us this morning for, uh, for Mammonberg. And I, I assume he's only partially regretting it right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we got some fun. Oh, I guess Phil, did you introduce yourself? I guess you didn't really. And I'm Phil. Uh, why did I invest in crypto? You see, oh, uh, it's because the utopian, the utopian vision. Uh huh. The utopian vision of, how do I describe this? Of Peter Thiel's floating cities. <laughs> just, they oh just, God. they speak to <laughs> me in a way that I, I really, I really couldn't tell you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the image of just, you know, a, a floating <clears throat> libertarian utopia that, you know, I assume resembles the Wild West where, like, if you double shot revolvers into someone's chest, they just go dramatically Django Unchained style. Like flying off of the city, <laughs> falling to their deaths. Um, There's something appealing about that. Yeah, that's great. Let's uh, let's talk about crypto, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I thought we were talking about Fantastic Beasts. Okay. So I guess yeah. Uh, no. 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 You can. You can. What What do you have to say about Fantastic Beasts? Oh, I just thought it was a massive disappointment. I have heard. Uh, I was. I was hoping. I was hoping that they were going to pivot into a territory where it was so offensive that like nobody could believe it was real. Well, so so because they were they were bordering on that point. Well, because what? So this is the I've not been watching Fantastic Beast movies. So you right. fill fill me in here. It was okay. this is the one that was going to be set during the Nazi era, right? Well, yeah, like it was in the 1930s, and apparently, like none of this happened. Like they they they, they go to China and they go to Germany, and from what I understand, they don't. They don't talk at all. See, see, I, I, I know that I'm doing like the that cringy turning red 9/11 critique right now, but like, <laughs> this is sort of like there's some precedent for it because there are they already like hinted at World War II being like a motivation or motivation, you know, a factor. Uh huh. And yeah, like, literally, Grindelwald was like, "Man, listen, we got to avoid a second World War. The first one was so bad," and everyone's like. No, no, no! World War Two needs to happen. I don't know why. It just needs to happen. So, they don't talk about the invasion of Manchuria or or like Hitler's rise to power because I think this happens like 1932 or 33. And that would be uh, the, that's yeah, that's really odd. 33. Yeah, that's or, like when yeah. Hitler got his. Yeah, I'll I'll check it, but uh, I'll I'll check I'll, I'll fact, fact check right now. But I uh, I'll tell you. From what what I've heard about the movie yeah. is that so it starts with like these this magical baby deer being born. It's called the Chillin, which is like yeah, I, I, I thought it was with that. I'm chilling. What? I'm chilling. <laughs> Stop, Phil. It's like a uh, it's like a magical Chinese deer, basically, mm. and mm-hmm. for as opposed some reason, to those regular Chinese deer, you know, the ones that are just normal. Yeah, this is yeah. a magical Chinese deer. Now, I have, I have a clarifying question. Yeah, the, in Paris, when I saw advertisements for the film, it said that it was roughly The Secrets of Dumbledore. Is that yes. the title of this film? Yes, yes, is The Secrets oh, okay. of the question, Dumbledore. The question, the question that I posted myself is, how many fucking secrets does Dumbledore have left to, <laughs> to, <laughs> to give? At he's got to run out of secrets, yeah. right? Well, I mean, there, there, literally there's only one secret of Dumbledore, apparently, uh-huh. which has to do with Ezra Miller's character, Credence, and that Ezra Miller was actually not Dumbledore's brother, he was Dumbledore's nephew, 
because Dumbledore's brother had an illegitimate child with another woman, with a, oh, with a woman, no. and then she gave him up, and that's the secret well, I mean, of Dumbledore. Wait, so hold on, hold on. So, is, so Dumbledore isn't gay? I'm confused. Like, is that is that no, only he, in the the he actor is, is gay or the yeah? That's how much no, I know about the. Well, Jubal <laughs> is not gay. I don't think. Uh, I know he's played gay roles. I think. Uh, but um. Well, there was he did play an android that wanted to kiss himself. So. Right. Uh, no, I think that was it. Wasn't that? I thought that was Michael Fassbender. Oh, I'm sorry. All British people of this, like, face-shape blend together. <laughs> so Dumbledore... Well, Dumbledore is gay, but only in the Western releases. Uh, <laughs> oh, right. Of course. Chinese, of the Chinese course. market. Right. Yes. That's uh, awesome. Wait, he, Chinese people watch Harry Potter films? God, I yeah. feel so yeah. bad for them now. Well, no, they, uh, well, yeah, they, they watch a lot of the blockbusters. That's no, why, right. like, Marvel and Disney yeah, have. Yeah, uh, that's true. So, so anyway, this magical deer that Newt Scamander, Eddie Redmayne's character, is helping being born. It's like, apparently, it determines that the wizard leader, the, the leader of the International Wizarding Council or something. And, like, because it bows to somebody who is a pure of heart. And so he's helping this chillin' give birth. And so it gives birth to, like, this little baby chillin'. And then Grindelwald and his, like, guys come in. <laughs> and they chase after Newt and they take the chillin'. And, and then Grindelwald slits its fucking throat. Jesus no, not Christ. the deer we were just introduced to. Ah! Yeah. I don't know if it's, like, like as soon as he gets it, he kills it, or if he kills it later, but I do know, like, on camera, he slits this baby deer's throat. Uh, it would have been cooler if he just, like, unhinged his jaw and, like, bit the neck of it. And then, and then like, there, but apparently this chillin' also had another twin baby that Newt takes, so there are two chillins, alright? And then, and, and then... Grindelwald, because apparently all of it, like, most of this movie was just filler. Because, like, Dumbledore is like, I still can't move against <laughs> yeah, Grindelwald. <laughs> None of this sounds like a plot. Yeah. No, because, like, the weirdest thing about it, like, I, I've i regrettably watched, like, some of the movies. Like, I think I watched the at least the, the first Fantastic Beast movie. And I know the plot of the second one. And I'm just like... It just sounds like meandering garbage. It's just like, because this, there's like no, there's no through line to the previous film from what I see so far. It just starts with like him and his deer. And I'm like, how does that make any sense? Like, how does this connect to anything? There's no, I do have a very serious question about this though. Is the deer, is the deer transphobic? Yes. Because then it's okay, I mean... Yeah, yeah. Well, apparently, like... Apparently, Gil- Grindelwald, like, slits the deer's throat because he brings it back with necromancy or something. <laughs> so that, like, when he goes to Berlin, Germany, I guess that was, like, their World War II reference is that, like, that the International Confederation of Wizards, like, they're having, like, a, a trial there and he's being acquitted of all of that. And then acquitted he- on all charges. This yeah. sounds like they're 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 making films about a wizard bureaucracy. Yeah, well, yeah, they are. I mean, I mean, J.K. Rowling is like a what? What is she? She's like a she's a big labor party, but like post labor. 
party supporters. New so Labor. Like the the yeah. neoliberal, yeah, the neoliberal. So, uh, okay, Labor so Blairite, we're talking about Blairite wizards, okay. Yeah, Blairite yeah, yeah. wizards, so, yeah. Uh, from what I understand, looking at the plot, a bunch of meaningless shit happens. Like, apparently this is all filler. There's, like, no reason for the beasts to be there. Mm, um, all filler. Delicious. Yeah, and then, like, so Grindelwald brings back the chillin' with... In, in, like, I guess it's in China? I, I don't, I got it, I, I don't care enough. But he brings it back, and, and so it's like a little zombie puppet, and, <laughs> and it, I'm sorry, I'm just thinking about this. Um, what does this have to do zombie... with World War Two? Yeah, and, like, it's a little zombie puppet, and it bows to him, and apparently, like, Oh, gets, no, like, wait, Finch, I get it. Finch, I get it, the... The deer finish. becomes Hitler. No, let me finish. You're like you're you're the new CEO of Silencing Women, Phil. He's always uh, been. I've been great about this. Yeah, but he has like Tourette's, so I've been giving him a pass. Uh, no, so the deer bows to him, and then he becomes the supreme Mugglewomp, I believe, is what it's called, and which is like the the world president wizard. I don't know if it's like a wizard UN or what it is, because I they she's never like mentioned this before. It's like a colonial power, really. Yeah, it's, it's the wizards controlling the Muggles. That sounds yeah. kind of. And, and then as soon as great. like, and like during this time, Ezra Miller's character apparently has fought Dumbledore, and then Dumbledore is like, "Oh no, we we actually just didn't know you you existed. We didn't know that you know your dad had a kid." And then, like, Ezra Miller, like, heel turns and think, um, they're, like, a good guy now. Yeah, we, so, we couldn't, we couldn't imagine a reality where Dumbledore's brother had sex. He was that ugly. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so what fucking happens, and I actually did see a clip of this, is, like, well, I didn't see a clip of this part, but there, there's, it, so apparently Newt is, like, that's not the real chillin'. And then, like, he brings out the real deer, and the real deer, like, bows to Dumbledore, I think? And then... Hmm. So wait, Dumbledore then, like, was the president this whole time? Well, hang on, hang on, let me get to it. And he's like, that's not the real... It's And he goes, that's not the real chillin', look at it. Or, to Grindelwald's chillin'. And I swear to God, I saw a clip of this. Like, I think it's like the, his brother is holding the chillin', and it just goes fucking limp in his hands. <laughs> it just goes fucking limp. <laughs> and then, like, apparently Grindelwald, through some MacGuffin, like, destroys the blood pack, and now Dumbledore and Grindelwald can fight, and they do, and then Ezra Miller, like, is killed or dying or something, and then uh, the Supreme Wizard President is- mm -hmm. that title is given to somebody who didn't have any lines. And that's all I know about this movie. Yeah, it's it's called the Supreme Mugwump. What the fuck well, is that? Th okay. I'm looking at thank the Wikipedia for, page. The thank you for this update on on Harry Potter. Oops, all filler. Uh, uh Harry Potter. <laughs> uh, Harry Potter. Uh, all my beasts gone. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to guess? Wanna, let's talk about something a little more substantial. Let's talk about uh, cryptocurrency. <laughs>
Warner Brothers has removed certain dialogue from Fantastic Beasts, The Secret of Dumbledore, to appease the Chinese government. The studio confirmed it has taken out clear references to Albus Dumbledore and Gillard Grindelwald's romantic past, such as the lines, I was in love with you, and the summer Gillard and I fell in love, that the beloved Hogwarts professor is gay and had a romantic relationship with the Dark Wizard. <laughs> Uh, so the economy, the economy's not doing too hot, uh, everybody. Well, the crypto uh, economy, the regular economy is just normal. Also shit. not doing too hot, yeah. <laughs> they're both, they're right. all, it's they're, all not doing both, well, it's, yeah. It's both going to shit. Alright, somebody explain what's going on in uh, Let me, I have a perfect analogy. Because all finance, all finance has to be explained in an analogy. Uh-huh. Please, no, so Phil. Im so imagine you're in a Roman Colosseum. And all of the seats okay. are taken up by diminutive monkey humanoids. All the seats in the rum, like the Roman Colosseum, are taken up by like Planet of the Apes style, uh, diminutive monkey hybrids. I know. All, like, Where is this chanting? They're all chanting and worshiping okay. a giant okay. gold block that has been placed in the center of the Colosseum. And everybody, all of the apes converge on the block and start ripping pieces off till each of them has gold that instantly melts in their hand and the crypto economy crashes. Okay, so the price of Bitcoin has, has gone mm. down to the lowest point it's been in the last two years. And uh, all the cryptocurrency seems to be going down as well. Alongside just in general, the stock market has been taking a pretty big hit. The NASDAQ has been down, all that good stuff. Um, we are we are entering bad economic times, folks. And uh, crypto, supposedly the thing that you should invest in because it, you know, like a uh, Olympian figure is supposed to float above these these petty mortal economic institutions has also gotten dragged down in it. And it appears to be destroying the economy of El Salvador. There's your update. Yes. Thank you, CIA, for killing Oscar Romero so we yeah. can get to this point. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah the, just you, hollowing you, out the moral core of Latin America. The the humiliation of, yeah, yeah, murdering Oscar Romero just so that you could end up destroying a country in a couple decades with cryptocurrency. Yeah. Man, what a fucking bleak time we live in. It really Jeez. is. Uh I uh, mean, and this on top of like the potential famine that might happen next year is like, well, what's it's not going to be good. That? I actually well, don't know I, much I, about that. I've I've heard about this. I don't know how like if it's going to happen or not, but because Russia is like one of the main exporters of wheat, and so is oh, Ukraine. Oh yeah, yeah. No wheat. Oh boy. Yeah, no, I I could I could see that coming because um I I know I know that food prices are well actually Keanu could speak to this are, are food prices going up quite a bit in Europe right now you're in France right now in Paris the cost of eating has gone up exponentially and yeah. the, I've been here since October and meal prices have gone up like like really significantly yeah mostly because of Ukraine my understanding right is. Or that and also inflation as well. I think yeah. inflation is related to the Ukraine-Russia crisis, but I yeah, think yeah. Uh, it's all connected. Yeah, it's all yes. it's all related to global shipping from what I understand. I watched an entire video essay about inflation, and a lot of it is that there are proven methods to... There are proven methods to diminish inflation that governments are just kind of refusing to try, because mm -hmm. doing so would mean redistributing wealth, because 
the problem right now is that there's too much money in the economy and too much like in the coffers of rich people who are just hoarding it away contributing mm. to inflation like it just like it's simultaneously there's more like financial freedom amongst the lower class while the upper class hoards a vast majority of wealth from circulation which contributes mm. to like inflation twofold in a weird sort of roundabout way yeah absolutely um so yeah it's uh it's it has been pretty funny i think uh watching on twitter the uh the crypto guys freaking out um i don't think this is the death of crypto i see a lot of people posting that you know i i think crypto's in this for the long haul it's not going away anytime soon um yeah. it's just well, that's it's, just it's the part reality. of web 3.0 you know like this is the future that a bunch of like the the next wave like the peter teal backed yeah the peter teal backed um web 3.0 developers the, the basically the forebearers of crypto are being you know funded in mass and they're they're mm. really what people like peter thiel and other like libertarian thinkers want the economy and basically all functions of like human life to be tied to which would create a dystopian privacy nightmare but you know that doesn't matter to them yeah um yeah, it's uh it's a uh, not great. <laughs> not great. Not great not at all. Great. Uh anybody else have anything good, to say about crypto? Good at all. all right, let's go on to our next topic cuz what no. else are we going to say? It's just crypto, bros. It's just crypto. Destroying yeah, I, everything. Well, I I'm not a big I I'm not big and knowledgeable on exactly what the future of crypto is and and all that. I'm not keeping so too much. So, the future tabs of crypto. It, but... I will say this cuz I've done some research. Uh-huh. So the future of web 3.0 is it's it's not so much cryptocurrency as cryptocurrency is like an affect of web 3.0 what mm -hmm. people want to do with the real big technology about web 3.0 is the blockchain turning like most services in America or like centralized networks into America into blockchains because what a blockchain is is essentially just like an uneditable uneditable with big air quotes because you can edit them you just like need to roll them back to a previous state you can't like take anything on or off but you can roll them back to when an action didn't happen there was a very famous uh you know ethereum the cryptocurrency so ethereum oh. actually has two versions uh this is called forking when you fork an entire like crypto economy into two directions because what ended up happening <laughs> is that a bunch of like high-end investors into the ethereum what is it it's called the um i think they start with a d but they're essentially like they're essentially organized corporations of people who all own crypto i think it's called like a DAC or something i i don't think that's mm. the right word for it but it's something analogous to that and it's essentially just like andrew yang wanted to make one of them but essentially, it's like a bunch of people who own and have investments in crypto. And since they stole a lot of Ethereum from these people through a hack, what ended up happening is that this was pretty early on in cryptocurrency's life cycle. They didn't want to lose out on all of that money because that would essentially tank the Ethereum economy at the time. And all mm -hmm. the high paid investors would like pull out. So what they did is they they forked ethereum into two cryptocurrencies one that maintained 
that that hack did happen and thus those cryptocurrency those coins were taken off of the market and thus diminishing the value of ethereum and uh -huh. the the one that was forked the one that they rolled back that one was pre-hack so everything was exactly like it was before with the same people having access to the amount of coins in their wallets and the investments they had so basically at any time the people who own a major stake in blockchains can decide that an action is unfavorable towards them and roll the entire blockchain back to a previous state where the everything was more favorable to them no, okay. And this is decided, like, basically unanimously amongst all people in that, like, echelon who own those those assets. And that has startling implications, because the idea of Web 3.0 is to put everything on a form of blockchain. Peter Thiel has this, like, weird libertarian vision, and the inventor of Ethereum as well, where they want your mortgage, your health insurance, your mm -hmm. dental records, everything to be, like, hosted on a blockchain. And they imagine a future where it would be inconvenient if you didn't. So, everyone would have to adopt the use of blockchain technology, which has really bad implications for personal privacy, anonymity on the internet, like, literally any kind of organization, because, like, if you start an organization, it'll be hosted on one of those things I mentioned earlier. Like, they will have to have a representation on the blockchain and, like, crypto assets, or at least some form of asset in order to be, like, a functional organization with money. Mm -hmm. And because, like, let's say you're trying to organize a union... Mm -hmm. They can know everything about your union, your goals, negotiations, the people you have, what those people want at any time. Mm -hmm. And they could just turn it off because it's hosted on the blockchain. Right. right. Okay, so let's move on to the next topic. Yeah, uh, we have uh, Elon Musk uh, keeps saying he's going to buy Twitter, uh, which... which <laughs> What are we going to say about that? We know he's a fucking egomaniac, Josiah. I know. No, I know. I, I know. I know. I mean, a Keanu, what are your thoughts on Elon Musk putting off buying Twitter? So the, the story is that he, he hasn't yeah. officially bought it yet. Yeah. Right. And he keeps saying think, he's going to. I think that there's some interesting dynamics going on with the board of directors. Is that what they're called? The board of directors or whoever yeah. whoever's in charge yeah. of the... There's some interesting dynamics going on between the board of directors and Elon Musk. I think what, there was that strategy that they tried to use to prevent him from buying it, and then that didn't work. And so I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I think I think part of maybe this is wrong, but part of me thinks that one of the wealthiest men in the country owning the largest social communication platform in the world is probably not the best idea. Maybe that's yeah. maybe that's just me. <laughs> that's yeah, I don't know. You. I have I have my hesitations about this. <laughs> it's a very milk toast, bland take, but. That's, wait, that's my wait, position. wait, Keanu, you don't want an egomaniacal, like, techno-feudalist billionaire to, like, basically <laughs> privately own the biggest social media platform? What it's are not you the even doing, man? I, okay. I know it's surprising. I know it's surprising. Um... No, it's the thing is, I, I don't know if he's going to actually buy it. We we never got to talk about Elon Musk trying to buy Twitter because um, 
we did the the critical race Terry episode. That right. One. And oh, so we, did, we never got into more that. Pressing yeah. Concerns. yeah, we had more pressing concerns, which was uh, Jackal and Sean doing a parody uh, black conservative podcast. But now, right. <laughs> now that we're here. Um, no, it, it, it has been interesting. I, I mean, it might still go through, but it sounds like he's growing more and more hesitant about it. So and mm. I, I don't know what's changing. I guess. Oh, I, I, I think I understand. Why His Tesla stocks are going down. That's why. Yeah, yeah but didn't he like, leverage? Didn't he leverage his Tesla stock in the first place to buy, like to put yes. up the money? Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. It's not only that though. It's also partially because he's trying to find a way to monetize it, and the those pesky free speech laws are getting in the way of all of his ideas. But they were already trying to monetize it. They were already trying to monetize tweets. Oh yeah, but the problem. Yeah, the but the problem is that Elon Musk is basically trying to find a way to monetize it that mm-hmm. doesn't look insidious, and he's not finding any way that he can monetize it I... without well, being I like he's I would have been. I would have. I, I don't know. I I would have probably left the shit show had he bought it and brought Trump back. Well, yeah, also, that, that'd be fine. That'd be good. That that there site, is... the site would be fucking unusable. What do you mean it would have been good? If Trump came <laughs> back, that that'd be awesome. I, uh, I miss his is... tweets. His tweets were awesome. <laughs> there is a certain kind of um. There is a so Gary V to bring it back to my uh, cold open about Gary V. Mm-hmm. So Gary V is another similarly rich guy oh, who talks no. about how he he wants to buy the Jets one day. It's literally his like life's mission to purchase the Jets, uh-huh. which only like if you know anything about the Jets, their net worth is in the billions. And he does this thing where like he humble brags, like he'll be like, "I could buy the Jets right now if I sold all of my assets and sold like literally everything that I own." I could buy the Jets right now, which is probably not true, but I think Elon Musk is mm. kind of posturing and doing the same thing with Twitter, where if yeah. he sold off, like, all of his assets and put all of his eggs in one basket to buy this corporation, he could technically buy it, I guess, maybe. Uh, that's debatable. But it's, like, it's basically... I think what happened is Elon Musk wanted to flex, try that, figured out that it would probably bankrupt him if he did, and then was like, no, 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 well, I, I mean, I don't want to buy Twitter today. I, I could buy it in, like, 20 years, maybe. I don't and then, you like, know. You what, know. What, what would Jesus do in this situation? Mm, uh, not buy question. Twitter. Uh, well, would, no, uh, he would, uh, in this do situation. Do anything else. You, 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 you know what, Phil? You are the real silencer of women. Yeah. I've been podcast. saying this. I've been saying this. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody listens to me. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Never mind. You get this title now. Uh, <laughs> at least for this podcast. Oh, but, man. Uh, this this was episode. awesome. Literally, literally, Phil Phil cut you off multiple times to explain crypto. Yeah, I was. I'm, <laughs> I'm so angry. I'm so fucking mad. I'm gonna throw you in the fucking Long Island Sound. With cinder well, blocks. I can't believe what I hate most. Oh, God, you stupid fucking wop. I'm so <laughs> angry. God, you goddamn Dago. I am so, so fucking mad. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm so fucking mad. Why don't you just go back to Sicily? Oh, God. <laughs> Very good, Finch. Very helpful. Very good. What, what, were, you, to... what were you saying? Yes. Uh, 
was I fu- I, I don't even remember. <laughs> now I know how Jackal feels. Now I know how Jackal feels. <sighs> you stupid little Soprano clone. God damn it. Okay, all right, I'm done. All right, I'm done. all right, all right. All right, all right. I'm, I'm done. I'm done. I'm okay. What was what were we talking? What would Jesus do? Jesus would kill Elon Musk. That's what Jesus That's would do. That's what Jesus. Let's keep going. Yeah. yeah. There we go. I, there we go. I think um, it's, a, it's a provocative theological question. Like, what would Jesus Christ say about cryptocurrency? <laughs> I think and there's not enough Jesus writing Jesus about this. Yeah. yeah let's go in, no, let's go into this discussion, Ke- uh, Keanu. What are I don't thoughts? know. I I think I think first of all. He probably wouldn't understand the question because he didn't speak English. But beyond that problem, <laughs> I think there's a there's a real there's a real question about whether like libertarian distribution of economic resources is actually a Christian virtue. Right. I don't think okay. I don't think it is personally because I I'm I, I am much more of a fan of the you know Shlevoy Zizek top down Stalinist Jacobin movement stuff. But <laughs> right. I don't know. I I I would prefer to put my money in a in a bank that's doing evil awful things as opposed to the, the the blockchain whatever that is that's also doing evil awful things and also destroying the planet while it's doing those things yeah. right so you got two I, evils oh yeah, yeah yeah so like i know that bank of america is like you know is 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 fucked but then they're not they're not powering their their you know systems by billions of computers burning off Fossil fuels all the time. Someone can explain right. the environmental impact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's I, bad. I just, I, I'm going to reference Anxious People because I can't get over that book, the book I was telling you guys about, and yeah, that yeah. you just bought, Keanu. There is a really interesting thing that one of the characters says is that in a bank, only three people know how what like how it works, where we get the money from, mm-hmm. and. I feel like in crypto, nobody knows. Maybe one person knows. <laughs> That's a really good point. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's something like, I don't know. There's something about the whole decentralized uh, kind of, I don't know, uh, sim- the like the, the simulation that we kind of enter mm-hmm. when it comes to like digital stuff where it, it it's a decentralized thing. Like the power dynamics still exist, but just nobody knows who, where it is. Because at least mm-hmm. in a monarchy, you could point at like a king, right? And be like, that's where yeah. power lies. But like, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like it's it's like you go deeper and deeper into this like Foucauldian rabbit trail the more mm-hmm. we simulate reality. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. it's bad. No, who, I mean, who, you, the, the problem for me is what would Jesus do about crypto? My personal take is if you know his opinion, the cleansing of the temple, I think you know what his opinion about, like, basically anybody who does, not anybody who does business, but I think if you imagine that the world is a big temple, Christ would want to drive the money changers out of it with whips. Okay. Yeah. With that's... Whips. I see. I see. I still think that there's something to say about the transition from a service economy to an information economy to yeah. now what they're calling a knowledge economy. Knowledge. Where, right. Where I think that there's, there's increasing segregation of, of people who have the ability to master what's relevant in the sea of information. And those people are knowledge workers, right? Yeah. Sometimes right. the sometimes the knowledge workers have access to power. Sometimes they don't. But I think generally, when it comes to the cryptocurrency, the knowledge workers are those people who would know what the fuck we're talking about. And mm-hmm. I think that I have the slightest clue 
do not have the slightest clue of how any of this works. And I've tried, I've tried really hard. I've watched documentaries and I've read books about cryptocurrency and it just make, makes no sense to me. And so I think the and fact think, that... No, like, like, no, 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 no. Like, like no, keep going. Finish. Well, no, I was just going to say that the, 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 the decentralized mm-hmm. aspect of it seems socially irresponsible to me. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, like, le- from a legitimately theological perspective, I think that a system without transparent checks and balances, mm-hmm. not to say that our, you know, what, what is it called? Like, fractal reserve banking is in any way uh, transparent. But at least we know, you know, you can broadly pick up a book and read the rules of how the new monetary yeah, theory yeah. and fractal reserve banking works, right? Whereas with, with cryptocurrency, if someone who's in a PhD program can't understand it, it seems like there's a it seems right, like there's yeah. a problem right where, oh, where it's, it's purposely esoteric yeah right i think that scares me about it that it's uh-huh. not if, if, if it's so difficult to understand at the granular level yeah. then perhaps there's some fishy shit going on that probably shouldn't be going on and mm-hmm. there's like a knowledge economy of people who who oddly enough understand this stuff and are prof well for a while we're profiting off of it not so much anymore but I think, uh, you know, yeah, the there's, there's something about the, the internet seems to like take on its own kind of like life of its own when things, things are kind of put into a digital sphere like that. So that's kind of, what's interesting is the knowledge, the, the, the knowledge economy, like you're talking about, th- those people aren't even gonna, they're still going to be rocked around by this just kind of uncontrolled thing, mm-hmm. you know, like it's, it's a completely decentralized I don't know. It, it, in a lot of ways, it kind of mirrors the the anarchy of the free market, but like in a worse. even more it's worse. extreme way. Yeah, because it's it's not guided by uh, material stuff in the same way anymore. As like at the end of the day, when you talk about like the anarchy of the free market, you still have the laws of like commodities and material things moving between borders and la di da di da that you can at least try to theorize about. But the deeper and deeper it gets into a completely idealistic realm, the mm-hmm. more it's just a, it's just it has no laws. I mean this is what um uh, I, I remember reading uh, Reform and Revolution recently. Luxembourg was talking about this with the credit system. She was just nervous about this as credit was growing because it it allowed the contradictions of capitalism to keep growing because mm-hmm. they don't have to face real material contradictions. They can just kind of keep expanding into speculation. And now here we are in like the grandest expanses of speculation and endless plane that the the logic of enlightenment can continue its conquest into a completely imaginary realm well that's there's, the there's thing about like crypto this is no is it's fundamentally <laughs> incapable you can't oh, use no, it as please. a currency yeah because right. it's so unstable no but that's and that's why it's so incredible that like i don't even know the president of el salvador's name but he made it like a legal currency there I also know that so, like he is probably a fascist because uh, there. Did you guys hear that there was like a mass grave that was found in the town that he was once mayor of? I did not know that. Yeah, that like so, happened recently. Partially, one of the things. Okay, to tie this kind of back into like weird crypto shenanigans, one of the weirdest. So cryptocurrency is so unstable. That they mm-hmm. invented an adjacent currency called stable coins. And a stable coin is tied to... So you know the value of our money? I forget what it's called. It starts with... You mentioned it early. It starts with an F. 
the name the name of my stable coin is raising a lot of questions that the name answers no no no, josiah like american the usd is an f i forget what they're called finance they're called like yes oh my god you didn't know what finance is no 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 it's not finance they're called a blank currency i don't it's an f currency i don't uh, remember what okay. the f fiat fiat it's a fiat currency yeah there yeah. we go fiat. so Stable coins are tied to fiat currencies because cryptocurrencies are so volatile you can't actually use them to exchange goods or services <laughs> because Phil. their value is so indeterminate that Phil. when what happens is because they're so volatile when people trade cryptocurrencies to each other the okay. like the basically the transactions take <sighs> so long from the power that they absorb like they absorb tons of processing power and a lot of electrical power so because uh, it takes that long to process a transaction the price will literally change drastically from the time you can start a transaction to the time you can complete it so Phil, literally they feel everything you have told me about this system is so asinine i don't it is but, but, like, they well, have to invent an entire uh, different uh, kind of currency to stabilize crypto. No, no, listen to me. This is, no, okay? This is, like, making my head hurt. I can't do this. I cannot believe that people are this stupid to fall into this glorified <laughs> pyramid scheme. I, I, it is I, a pyramid scheme. I, it is a pyramid scheme. Every, I, I, what, ever since this thing took off, like, last year, everybody's been saying it's a pyramid scheme. I think this is really Everybody funny. Everybody who invests in crypto is going to hell. Anyway. No, I, I don't know. <laughs> Most I, um, people who invest in crypto are going I, to hell. I am, I am I baffled. Most I am... people. Okay, I'm a Calvinist, infernalist, but only for people who invest in crypto. <laughs> I was going to say, you like... Are, I... If you're a crypto person, you are going to hell. I'm sorry. Okay. Go ahead, Joseph. Were you saying that they were using fiat currency to ground it? Yes. So no, 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 no. no. Don't explain it to me. Don't explain it to me. That's not what I, I wasn't asking you to explain it. I'm saying that fiat currency was the transition into speculation to begin with. Fiat currency is the thing that is <laughs> that, that is it's no, no, materialism. No, no, you're not listening. Let, like, let me finish what I'm saying, Phil. <laughs> I don't need you to explain crypto to me anymore. What I'm no, saying is it's it's just ridiculous that that like the transition from like the gold or silver standard to fiat currency was itself like ungrounding currency from anything material and they're pointing to that as that's the stable thing compared to what crypto is. That's what I'm, I'm saying oh, is crazy. It's truly simulacra. If he starts if he starts explaining crypto kick him, poor Keanu here hasn't even spoken that much. Crypto cryptocurrency was literally funded by the same people who have the school of thought that they should maintain the gold standard. Why? Well, so the, why are they doing it? There is a direct, direct, direct intellectual line from those people and the people who invented cryptocurrency and the people that funded the creation of cryptocurrency 
But why? Because cryptocurrency is isn't grounded because on anything. Because it's not supposed to make sense, Josiah. That's why. Why? It doesn't make it's any a scheme. sense. <laughs> it's a scheme, Josiah. It is a pyramid scheme. It's not supposed to make sense. I think there's there's, there's truth to that. There's truth yeah. to that. There's truth to the fact that educated people can't understand what's going on in this conversation. Uh-huh. Right. I think that once once you once you begin to draw a picture. And the picture looks like an upside down pyramid. Uh huh. And you don't yeah. realize you're drawing an upside down pyramid. You're in a fucking pyramid scheme. I feel like right. <laughs> I feel like we're in a skit on uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia in this situation where we, we don't understand that we're in a multi level marketing situation of of people <laughs> spreading this discourse of tech bro masculinity part and parcel of which is investing in a speculative uh, market that has no security, no basis, no intellectual mm-hmm. genealogy, no sense of no sense of anything. It just seems completely unmoored from any sensible economic decision one could make. I mean, it is yeah. it, it fundamentally is and the more you learn about it, the less you actually know. It's <laughs> awesome. Hey, okay, Great. can we go on to the next topic cuz this is making me mad. Crypto obviously right now getting crushed. It's investors getting jolted by volatility rippling through the crypto world. Tonight, a massive sell-off of cryptocurrency, erasing more than $200 billion from the entire market in a single day. Kazakhstan's historically cheap and abundant electricity supply, plus welcoming government policies, made it perfect for this new industry. The government says the country is now using 8% more electricity and concerns for the environment are growing too. This mine in the countryside is plugged directly into a coal-fired power station. Crypto is a roller coaster, so you gotta buckle up and enjoy the ride. So let's move on to uh, a lot has happened um, in Palestine over the last week here. I, I, I'm not super familiar with a lot of this stuff. Um, I know that Phil has a lot of affinity for the journalist that was killed um, mm-hmm. recently. Um, and then uh, Keanu said that he knows a bit about this subject. So I, I think I want to turn the floor over to you guys. But long, long story short, a journalist was killed um, by, by Israeli forces. And then at her funeral, uh, the mourners were assaulted by the Israeli police. Which is yeah, that it, yeah, I, I'm seeing those yeah, seeing that those those videos of the mourners being assaulted, mm-hmm. but that was just shocking. Yeah, absolutely. Like, the gall of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the so Shireen Abu Akle, she, if you research anything about her, she was basically a Palestinian journalist who grew up in the conflict. I think she was about like in her fifties when she passed mm-hmm. away recently. Like she was kind of like nearing middle age, and she was she was a very popular Palestinian, like literally talk show, not talk show, but like journalist, host, uh, per, like TV personality who basically dedicated her life to exposing the like basically the IDF's like constant like violence and like basically everything surrounding it uh she is in no uncertain terms a hero she was also uh, a palestinian christian her coffin literally if you see that video has a it has a crucified christ on the front of it you Mm -hmm. can kind of see it 
And the crowd of mourners was most likely made up of Palestinian, Jewish, Muslim, and Christian people. Because a lot of people like to forget that Palestinian Jewish people aren't really looked favorably upon the Israeli government either. Because it's it's not really about Jewishness, it's about ethnicity. Yeah. And they but, bar like, the people who are Palestinians, regardless of religious affiliation or, like, even Jewishness from entering well, the country. it seems like, yeah, like, Israeli media really, one, they like to erase both the existence of Palestinian Jews and Christians. Because they want to frame it as, like, a Jews versus Muslim conflict, basically. Exactly. Which is why such a prominent Palestinian Christian, who mm -hmm. is very open and obvious about her faith... She worshipped in churches in Jerusalem. Another fact I actually learned that's a side note is that there is a lot of Christian-Muslim solidarity in what remains of Palestine. When they close the, I think it's the Al-Asqua Mosque, I'm bad at pronouncing things, but it's the, it's the centralized mosque, like mosque in the Jerusalem yeah, yeah. area. When mm -hmm. Israel closes its doors... Literally, the, the Muslim population doesn't know where to go. So what happens is that the Christian churches in the area actually open their doors to Muslim worshippers and allow them to worship and pray in Christian churches because they just don't have anywhere else to do it. Yeah, and absolutely. Because there's so much solidarity between the two groups in the like in that area, there is a possibility somebody pointed out that the people who are pallbearers to her coffin were probably an intermingling of Christians and Muslims as well. Mm -hmm. And they, they actually bravely didn't let her coffin fall when they were being like beaten. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just, what's so egregious to me is that the thing about like Zionism is it's perpetrated on creating a false power dynamic between the settlers and the people who already live there, that the settlers are the perpetual... They're the people who actually should be cheered and jeered upon, and it weaponizes the, the fact that Jewish identity is so intrinsically tied to the fact, at least in modernity, that 50 years ago, you know, a little more than like 50, 75 years ago, a enormous genocide happened to their population and centuries before that genocides against them continuously happened mm. so it weaponizes the idea of jewish identity as an oppressed class of people and the israeli government adopts that and says jewishness is intrinsically part of the israeli state and we can control the narrative that way by saying that like you know basically because of how we adopt our own ethnic and religious culture we can define what we do to other people even if it mirrors the oppression that we've leveled like that has been leveled against us in the past it doesn't matter because we're still mm. we're still the oppressed here don't mm. you understand and it's it's a it's a very horrible it's a very horrible state of affairs where a journalist can be shot by a 5.56 caliber round, which a very popular Israeli weapon is chambered in. Mm. It's like mm -hmm. almost exclusively what their military uses. The bullet that shot her was a 5.56 round. They accused Palestinian militias that weren't in the area at the time of shooting her and are mm -hmm. shirking all responsibility for it. And 
they, because of the appearance of Palestinian symbols, attacked her funeral procession. That was the reason why they attacked her funeral procession is because yeah. they had the goal to wave Palestinian symbols. Well, and, like, they also they also have claimed that uh, people threw rocks at them, which I you know I I don't buy. But even if they did, uh, like why why is there a huge IDF presence at the funeral in the first place to even create <laughs> that situation like that? And of course, because like okay, the people that shot her are now at her funeral. Like the the and then of somebody throws a rock at them like of course they would you know what i mean like i i still wouldn't and i I, I don't fully buy it but yeah. they're not just wearing like t-shirts and pants they're wearing yeah. riot gear um why don't we uh yeah yeah let, let, let let's let Keanu have the floor um i think so there's a lot to there's a lot to talk about here um i think the first thing that i want to just disclaim is that um, the the need to separate Jewish identity from Zionism at this point in the conversation has never the, the the global conversation has never been more evident. Simply because there is a lot of left wing anti semitism, it does exist. Oh yeah, sure. Um, being oh, yeah. on being on university campuses and hearing the kinds of comments that people make, um, it's important to recognize that that is a that is a facet of the conversation we're dealing with and and. While, while obviously I'm I'm mourning um, the loss of of this journalist, I'm also thinking about the ways this narrative is being weaponized in Israeli press. The way mm-hmm. that there's like there's there's um, there there is a, a multi layered approach to dealing with these incidents. The first part is obviously uh, denying the truth, mm-hmm. denying the truth by saying this event was facilitated by Palestinian extremists, right? Right. The second thing is by saying, well, this was a tragic mistake. It, it never meant to happen. But then that message, the optics look really bad when you have a funeral procession being interrupted by IDF forces. Um, the, optics, the optics are very reminiscent of apartheid in South Africa. And I don't make that, I don't make that comparison lightly. As a historian, uh, I think comparisons are tricky. Um, and it's really difficult to, um, to make informed comparisons in the first place. But looking at the situation of Israel now, you, you really have to be to sit in awe at the, the eeriness of the parallels between apartheid South Africa and what's going on in, in, in the settler colonial Israeli state. Mm-hmm. That it the parallels are just remarkable to me. And if people want recommendations of where to go if you're if you're if you're not really sure about what to think about this conflict. Um, a couple of books that I can that come off the top of my head really quickly are the 100 Years War uh, on Palestine. Uh, the author's name escapes me. And then uh, uh, Norman Finkelstein, Noam Chomsky have written excellent books on on this this topic as well. But what I wanted to bring up was a relatively recent book. Uh, its second edition came out last year. It's it's by uh, Deep uh, Deepa Kumar. And the book is called Islamophobia and the Politics of Empire. And the gist of, of, the, of the story that, that Kumar is trying to narrate is that um, even Christian people in Palestine are caught up in the matrix of anti-Muslim ideology. Um, that this anti-Muslim ideology uh, of Islamophobia is actually a kind of racism. 
And this racism is rooted, profoundly rooted in the history and the politics of empire and the, the histories of colonial regime. Um, so Islamophobia can be best understood uh, rather than uh, a religious intolerance against a certain group of people, it can be understood as a kind of racism. And I think this, this framework of understanding Islamophobia as a sort of racism is really helpful because what it does is it gives us the, 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 the equipment and the verbiage to make sense out of how it is that a Palestinian Christian woman could be ruthlessly murdered by, uh, by the Israeli state. I think mm-hmm. what's going on is a, is a settler colonial project of land reappropriation by the state to fundamentally erase the uh, existence of the Palestinian people. And why is this happening? I think it's happening primarily because um, people bring up, well, what about the two-state solution? Isn't that something we should be fighting for? Here's the problem. Um, there, we're, looking at a, we're looking at a situation where the Israeli state has zero desire to incorporate the Gaza Strip uh, uh, and the West Bank into its territory. Why? Because if it did, the, the population imbalance between the amount of Palestinians in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip versus the population in Israel is incomparable. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the veneer of electoral democracy that Israel has would dissipate immediately when the majority of their citizens are Muslim Palestinians. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So the legislative process would be bankrupt immediately because people would be voting for their own interest in, in, a, in a fully incorporated West Bank Gaza Strip situation. So instead of incorporate fully like, you know, annexing the West Bank and the Gaza Strip, what Israel is doing is a two pronged approach. First, making life as intolerable, miserable, horrific as possible so that people either leave um, uh, or, you know, some people are calling it an ethnic cleansing. Um, I don't have enough evidence to say that what's going on in the 21st century constitutes an ethnic cleansing. But historically, with the NAPCA and what went on in the 20th century is obviously examples of ethnic cleansing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, what I can say is that the second prong of it is the settler, settler colonial occupation that's going on in the West Bank. Uh, where populations of, of uh, in, in, in desert mountainous areas of Palestinians are being uprooted from their homes like they were in the mid-20th century uh, and are being forced to leave. And this vision is ultimately not, from my left-wing Jewish friends with whom I've spoken, is not a Jewish vision in their minds. It's a Zionist vision. And mm. I think that... Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, Zionism is... At least Zionism in the beginning is also very different than contemporary Zionism as well. Like, it has metamorphosized egregiously over the years. The original, the original idea behind Zionism was just, like, the loose affiliation amongst, like, Jewish people per- post-World War II that they were just like, we need to stop being diaspora, finally, and we actually need, yeah. like, a place well, to call home. It- it, it even it's even predates World War Two. Yeah, it goes back Theodore yeah. Herzl and, and the concept yeah. of a, of a Jewish homeland. People proposed areas in in, in Latin America. People proposed mm. areas in Africa to well, the, uh, Yeah, yeah, Madagascar was one of the places that was floated. I, I recall um, that uh, Arendt talks about that oh. in Eichmann in Jerusalem. I, I I am very curious, Keanu, because I, I you mentioned earlier you thought that this you know this type of Islamophobia is a sort of racism 
you know, I, I, I'm very curious about that since, you know, like, like Christianity, um, it, Islam is a, a proselytizing religion. Do you mean like it is racism against Palestinian Muslims specifically, or is it like some sort of like, there, there's like a profiling of Palestinian Muslims, and then that's why Christians get caught into it? Or can you elaborate so, uh, a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Kumar says, quote, when Muslims and those who look Muslim in the United States, mm. as well as around the world, are subject to systematic modes of oppression from surveillance to detention, torture, and the denial of basic human rights, including the right to life, what is at work is not religious misunderstanding or intolerance, but structural racism. Mm-hmm. Ah. These, are, these are racial regimes similar to others in U.S. history from the time of settler colonialism on. For instance, the Iraq War of 1990, the genocidal sanctions regime, and the 2003 war are occupation uh, and, and occupation are analogous to how Native Americans were treated. Uh, mm. Kumar goes on to say that Islamophobia isn't the same, uh, isn't the, the product of fringe right wing elements, but it comes out in liberal and conservative forms as well. Um, uh, and so I think what's important to do in this conversation, people ask me, well, what do we do? How do, how do we, how do we um, begin to think about the, you know, uh, the journalist's murder? How do, we, how do we deal with the IDF encroaching on Palestinian human rights and lives? I think the first thing to do is consciousness raising. And it might sound like a cliche liberal thing to do, but really when I, when I talk to people, the conversation always comes back to, this is a complicated issue. There's two sides to it. You know, uh, who's right? We could never know. It seems so difficult to make sense out of, right? And the one thing I want to push back on uh, is the, this notion of it's complicated. It's, the history is extensive, but the issue is very straightforward. It's not a complicated issue to understand. Mm-hmm. Since the end of the Holocaust and the establishment of an Israeli state after the British mandate period, uh, and the British and French mandate periods, I should say, um, we have a situation of massive internal displacement of Palestinian Arabs. Uh, we have a situation of the construction of one of two, only two in the world, religious ethnostates, the other one being Pakistan. Mm-hmm. There's only two of these examples in the world of states founded on the ideology of a ethno-religious identity. And with this said, the structures set in place by the Israeli state have systematically and architecturally disenfranchised Palestinian people living within the borders of Israel and those living in the West Bank and uh, um, in the Gaza Strip. It's not an issue of there are two sides, what do we do? It's an issue of an oppressed people figuring out ways to combat their oppression. And sometimes this oppression turns to violence and other times it uses strategic forms of nonviolent resistance. Um, But I think what's needed is a fundamental paradigm shift in how we think about the Israel-Palestine conflict. The very phrase Israel-Palestine conflict is, is difficult for me because it's not a conflict. It's, it's an oppressed a group of people who are experiencing the consequences of settler colonialism. Yeah. So I think framing the issue as apartheid, framing the issue as the, the consequences of that is probably the best and most productive way to begin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. what you said about framing plays a really big part. It also kind of harkens back to what you said about, like, contemporary Muslim identity in the wake of, like, an ethno-nationalist state that is against them, where it ties Palestinian Arab identity 
in the absence of anyone's religious identity and the numbers of those religious identities amongst the people to Islam as just like a de facto state of being, like mm -hmm. a race. So in the absence of any signifiers, like how you said they could kill a Palestinian Christian woman, it doesn't matter how many Christians or Muslims there are amongst the population, all of them are Muslim in some sort of transcendental exactly. way. Exactly. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, and, and you've seen this, you know, you even saw this in, in, in the literal birthplace of Christianity in Bethlehem. I, I do remember a, a few, um, I think it was about a year back, there were videos of, like, Israeli settlers, like, bulldozing people's houses in Bethlehem, and they were Christians. So, no, I, I, to I totally agree with, like, what you're both saying, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, and there, there's an aspect of, of Orientalism specifically mm -hmm. to it, I think, that plays into it, where when you talk about um, stuff that is in the, I don't know, the, the Orient quotation marks um, away from the West, it kind of just gets blurred together. And so the nuances of the difference between Christian, Jewish, Palestinians and Muslims, mm -hmm. they all just kind of get morphed together in a way that you know, you, you might see in artistic depictions of like India or something like that <laughs> as well, or or the Middle East as a whole um, that doesn't see these as as, as regions with uh, differences between the regions, differences between cultures within those regions, etc. It just kind of merges it together, and it's it's a cliche to make this point that people make on Twitter, but it it still is kind of worth saying. Like like somebody a, a Christian who speaks Arabic refers to God as Allah. Right. You know, and this is kind of like a, mm -hmm. an easy point people make, but it 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 is one example that's like easy to point to of a lot of ways in which we have criminalized more or, or, or maybe not criminalized. We we've uh no, I mean in in a sense in the U.S. we we have used political institutions to go after people for more their Arabness or their mm -hmm. you know Middle Easternness than their actual like religion it's, religion, it's all merged yeah. together not now of course it's still wrong to go after someone for the religion not not that yeah, it's not religious wrong, but, like, bigotry is bad but yeah there is more of a, a the, as keanu was saying there's a there's more way more of a racist element mm -hmm. here yeah and you know you you see this in like the the liberal variations of it uh usually look at trying to find examples of the good muslim and try to lift them up. And yeah. so uh, there's a really fantastic book on this. Um, uh, fuck, who's it by? It's uh, The Muslims Are Coming. Oh, um, I have that book. It's, oh, it's very good. Uh, it, but one of, one of the things they pointed to is like the, the, uh, uh, the author points to is the, oh, Kundanani. Kunani, I'm probably, I'm definitely mispronouncing that, but, uh, by, but that's the author. Uh, the Muslims Are Coming. He, he points to, that the conservative notion is that, you know, Islam is inherently, you know, inherently broken. It won't, you know, we should uh, oppose it in all forms as the liberal variation is to lift up specifically Sufism um, because there's a orientalized image of what Sufism is, which is it's, you know, being the Muslim hippies, right? It's the, oh, we're the peace loving version of, of Islam. And it, you know, this turns into really bizarre like settings where the state was kind of like, suggesting that sunni and shia like take on sufist practices or whatever it, it's it's very <laughs> liberal it's... liberal uh attitudes and you know even depictions of islam at times can mm -hmm. be very 
uncomfortable to me because they feel feel very paternalistic. They're very much yeah. fetishizing the righteous Muslims. What's, what what people Quote, tend unquote. to forget? What people tend yeah. to forget is that um, in two thousand three. Some of the strongest justifications for invading Iraq were from liberal white feminists. Yep. Right. That the notion of having to deveil or unveil these oppressed Arab women from their evil patriarchal overlords was a common refrain that we heard. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And yeah. And I think that like America is good at one thing and it's forgetting its past. Um, and I think <laughs> constantly, <laughs> constantly. Posing just posing these facts to both the liberal and the right wing narrative destroys their logic in a kind of ironically Ben Shapiro kind of way. And the problem is when I have these conversations with people, nobody knows what to say when I bring these facts up. Mm-hmm. It, it just falls apart. The the rhetoric falls apart so quickly when you introduce historical fact. Yeah. I mean, if you know, I, and I mean, I guess building off of that, if you're so worried about it's extremism, maybe don't fund extremists to get the communists out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because and and correct me if I'm wrong, Keanu, but weren't a lot of those Muslim countries like secularizing until the extremists took power? That's exactly right. Yeah. The, yeah. the conflict in Afghanistan was was really one between the Soviet Union and the United States, served as a proxy war, and, right? Uh, Really, the consequences of blowback we see in 9-11 were primarily connected to uh, the Taliban uh, having a weapons cache that the Americans left in Afghanistan after, um, after the, 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 the war with the, the Soviets. So, mm-hmm. hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, we, it, it's, it's, it's just a frustrating thing because it's, it's another classic example of Americans being mad at the conditions that we created. It's the same thing with Latin America. Why are there so many immigrants coming up? Because the CIA destroyed a ton of those people's go- governments, basically, and put in dictators. And they can't survive there. It's the same thing in the Middle East. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I, I, I think in part it... There, there is a refusal to see that the these wars that the U.S. has waged on, like waged, like they, they, nobody wants them to take place in the in the home front, um, mm-hmm. which is why terrorism in the U.S. when it happens or in the West in in Europe becomes such a like jarring thing when it takes place. As you know, which not not that that's you know that it's a good thing when terrorism happens, of course, but like it it. You know, you, you see this like panic that happens, but we're, we, we've been waging these wars against these these places and, and the terrorism has been happening there. But the instant like the 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 uh, the violence seeps over into the home turf, then it's suddenly like, I can't believe this has happened. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we've we've wanted to wage a depolitical war, you know, that that, you know, like a, a war that isn't a a a war to us it's supposed to be a war on tv not one here and that's it's yeah one of my favorite critical theorists uh, their name is jasbir puar and there's a really great book by them called uh, uh terrorist assemblages homonationalism in queer times which i think is an awesome title for a book yes. um, <laughs> but uh there's this idea of what what is a terrorist incident why is it only a terrorist incident when uh, brown people do it in the United States? Mm-hmm. We don't refer to Sandy Hook, which was a catastrophe of unbelievable proportion. Nobody talks about it anymore. Of course, no one talks about little children being shot to death with, with assault rifles 
Um, nobody talks about it. Um, except if you're and, still in Connecticut. <laughs> except if you're still in Connecticut, right? right? And I think this 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 notion of why why isn't Sandy Hook a terrorist incident? Right. Mm-hmm. It really goes no. to show how the semantic valences of the words we use carry really particular coded meanings that we have to drive mm-hmm. to to dissect. That yeah. is a really really great point, Keanu. Like a really mm-hmm. good point because. Yeah. What Lanza did should be classified as terrorism. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just like one of the most horrific, mm-hmm. definitely, probably the most horrific thing that happened in Connecticut state history. Definitely yeah. one of the most horrific. And he just went in and killed a bunch of kids for like, I don't even, I don't even know if they found the reason for, for why he did it. Mm-hmm. But he yeah, has no, to have it, had a reason. Right. Right. Because he was a right. lone wolf who was mentally ill. Right. And that's right, the right. refrain. That's the refrain. He wasn't a brown person, so it's not because of his religion. It's because he was a lone wolf who was mentally ill. And we don't talk about broader currents of isolated yeah. young white right. men who are alienated from their society, who take up arms and massacre entire villages of people in the United States, right? Well, right. There, there's a problem that we have to address here that I think, mm-hmm. not, to, not to go off of too much, too much of a tangent, but I think that in the same way that we talk about what is terrorism, right? We have to be we have to be we have to be conscious of the fact that we mean a certain thing when we say terrorism. We mean when brown people who we think are Muslims explode buildings and and scream Allahu Akbar. That's what terrorism means, right? Yeah, terrorism yeah, is not when people Yeah, go ahead. I was about to say it's tied like intrinsically to the notion of like the other. So I guess what can we as Christians do to respond to this? Like all of this, I suppose. Like this bigotry, this uh, this raci- this sort of racialized violence against our, our our brothers in Abraham, and of course the the Palestinians. Like, what can we do to resist this sort of colonial mentality? Um, I think for 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 Christians, I think the first step that's needed is to participate in the BDS movement. Uh, what that looks like is telling your evangelical friends to stop visiting Israel. Um, mm-hmm. Stop funding the Israeli economy. Do yeah. whatever you can to paralyze their economy, to um, make your your opinions loud and clear through social media, through talking to your relatives, that letting letting your grandparents who are you know staunchly pro-Israel know that, hey, there's something approaching ethnic cleansing happening there today. Mm-hmm. Just... Uh, being being conscious of the language choices you make and the the intellectual vocabulary you're subscribing to so no longer referring to it as the israel palestine conflict but using terms like settler colonialism or apartheid or uh you know uh, structural violence uh, the, the way we think uh, you know uh, lakoff has a, an excellent book called metaphors we live by and this is a commonly used as a right-wing talking point to to be a little postmodern thinking, but the reality of the situation is we live in a world shaped by marketing and a, and a world shaped by mm-hmm. If the language we're using is reflecting a certain set of material conditions on the ground, the theory goes that by changing the language we use, we can kind of begin to affect change to, to kind of reciprocally reflect the material conditions. Mm-hmm. That doesn't always happen, of course. Like, for example, um, certain language choices don't always uh, translate to material change. But you know, hitting people where their wallets are is a really important strategy. Um, I think taking up time to read books that 
are not part of this broader liberal narrative of Israel-Palestine conflict, but taking up books, like I mentioned, by Jewish authors themselves, like Noam Chomsky and Norman Finkelstein, who highlight Ion um, Pape, for example, Gaza in Crisis is a great title, um, that highlight the, the crisis that's going on is a really great strategy to, to educate yourself and to inform other people about what you can do. Um, there are plenty of organizations that you can find online that you can donate to. Um, I think probably what I would say the most important thing is to get to know people who are of uh, Israeli descent and people who are Palestinian descent. Talk to them and see what their opinions are, see how they think about each other, see how they think about their own lives and how they think about the world. Um, one of the things that I bemoan is the lack of uh, diversity among friend groups um, that I observe in the United States, that statistically people are not willing to go outside people who look and sound and think like them. So expanding your horizons and getting to meet people who are Israeli, people who are Palestinian, would be an interesting uh, endeavor as well. So those would be my recommendations. If possible, oh, really good recommendations. If possible, can you actually put some of these resources in a list and we'll put it with the description of the episode? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like That'd some of these books and resources, would that would be perfect? Sure. Because I'm interested sure. in them too. Fantastic. Sure. It's just a very sad situation that, you know, a, a place that is you know, held in such, you know, holy high regard by Jews, Muslims, and Christians, you know, the, the lands where Jesus Christ lived and walked is still going mm -hmm. through this much, this much violence, this much apartheid violence. Mm -hmm. And it's so sad, too, because, like, a lot of it is... I looked at some pictures of the holy land. Like, I remember uh, I was looking up images of Golgotha, because I was like wow, they actually know where Golgotha is. And when I saw it, there's like a road next to it and a fence around it, like a, basically like a guardrail. And I was like, wow, this is like the Disneyland of the Abrahamic religions. It's so commercialized. Mm -hmm. It's it's almost revolting. It is revolting. It's like disgusting what they've done to it. Like it just, it's mm -hmm. so awful looking and i i don't mean that to like bemoan modernity i mean that like they took what are like holy religious sites and commercialized them so much that they basically don't mm -hmm. materially re like resemble what they used to look like or they're just bulldozed into rubble even in death no peace for shireen abu akleh israeli police beating palestinian mourners with nightsticks as they try to carry her coffin through the streets of jerusalem abu akleh a veteran palestinian american journalist with al jazeera was already a household name here for her decades of reporting her death has turned her into a palestinian national icon Every single member of my family on both sides was exterminated. Both of my parents were in the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. And it did precisely and exactly because of the lessons my parents taught me and my two siblings that I will not be silent when Israel commits its crimes against the Palestinians. And I consider nothing more despicable than to use their suffering and their martyrdom to try to justify the torture that Israel daily commits against the Palestinians. So I refuse any longer to be intimidated or browbeaten by the tears. If you had any heart in you, 
should be crying for the Palestinians, not for what's inside. Well, um, let's uh, let's move toward wrapping up. I think. Um, mm-hmm. I guess rapid fire here, real quick. Some rapid other stuff. That just, yeah, that's that's coming up. We're not going to talk too much about, but should be worthy. We've been following uh, partially out of amusement the culture war over Disney right now. Uh, Josh Hawley is trying to strip them of their copyright uh, stuff, which is following the general theme of American politics, which is a, a good idea being floated for the stupidest reasons in the world. Oh, um, like, <laughs> you know what the worst part is? It's like he could legitimately pull this off if he gets enough Republicans yeah, yeah, on his and, side. And they really shouldn't have the throttle on yeah. <laughs> copyright that they do. And yet it's going to happen because uh, Disney isn't homophobic enough. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. Um, and then of course, we don't have enough time to get into it, but uh, Finland and Sweden, as of I think today, are talking about um, are, are, are beginning the process Whoa! of joining NATO, joining NATO, um, which is going to start some of the most annoying conversations on Twitter. I assume. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but this right. is a war of Ukrainian aggression, Josiah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Go Putin! <laughs> I, like hey, don't don't video. be. Hey, don't be putting all I, your eggs in one basket. Am I right, fellows? It's just like a five-second video where the guy is just like really close to the camera, and he goes, <laughs> "Go Putin!" Yeah, that and video is go, of a friend of mine. Oh, it is. <laughs> yeah, I sent that to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> So much yeah. has happened these past three months. I literally, yeah. I thought it was like <laughs> twenty fucking um, years ago. Yeah. Any, anyway, it, you know, I think the general stance is like N- NATO probably shouldn't exist anymore. It's bad that it does, but then at this point with this invasion, I, I don't know. I understand Finland and Sweden trying to get in on NATO, but it's just there, uh, there are no winners. Yeah, there's no there winners are here. People it, who lose less than others. It's uh, this conflict will continue to boil up, and I don't know. I don't know where this goes. And on that wonderful note, Phil, why don't you close us out? So all of these uh, dirty, stinky uh, crypto boys and gals are just oh, huddled in their their sweaty, wet cardboard rags that are now clinging to their bodies since the the boxes have dissolved into a horrible, horrible paper mache slurry as okay. uh, Elon. Elon Musk uh, begins to incorporate the cardboard into his skin, becoming a horrible, a horrible wet cardboard golem who does no longer resemble a human man. As he says, next week, next week, I'll buy Twitter. Next week, I'll have the funds. Oh, oh, I'll just sell the Tesla stock. I'll just sell it all. Uh, as he, uh, he basically uh, kind of lauds over uh, a framed photograph that just says uh, Tesla stock in, like, permanent marker with, like, a running tally underneath it saying that he has, like, 26 or whatever. Uh, all the hosts are afraid. Uh, Josiah is trying to get the revolver away from him. But... Uh, Mm-hmm. It, it seems like we're gonna have a rough weekend ahead of us, boys and girls. So, Josiah, uh, how how are you gonna 
make sure this week in the alleyway ends up okay and where can we find you yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna make sure this this week goes well by mostly ignoring it and just spending my time on the internet uh so with that in mind you can follow me at josiah w sutton on twitter.com uh i also have another podcast called fruitless with an episode about the culture war coming out here soon featuring aj um and then in a few weeks an episode with keanu that i've recorded talking about queer theory and christianity that was a very good conversation all right and and what's great is that josiah is going to access the internet on both a pc and a phone that he's constructed solely out of cardboard wet cardboard yep. mm -hmm. that's right and then we have of course uh finch hello hello finch, yeah how are you gonna weather the weekend how are you gonna do it uh it was a lot of alcohol uh <laughs> anyway with uh with, with netflix and chill and by chill i mean chilling in this alley with my uh cardboard laptop since i can't access netflix anymore since youtube blew all of my savings my life savings <laughs> um yeah, and you can follow me at Finchawar uh, on Twitter.com. I also have a Substack, which I have not updated in a very long time, but there are two articles up there that are of some merit. So, Hell yeah. yeah. All right. And we have uh, our beautiful guest that we managed to sucker into these hijinks, Keanu. Uh, hi, you guys can follow me at Wotuchorizen on Twitter. I uh, also have a website, KeanuHadari.com. And I will spend the foreseeable future slavishly working on archives about Iranian students in Paris. Not sure oh, why no. I decided to do that, but, you know, <laughs> bed, you have to sleep in it. That's what you gotta do. And hey. finally, there's uh, me. You can find me at CryptidDirector on Twitter.com, where I will be uh, shit-posting, literally shit-posting, on the toilet, shitting and posting something oh, so, so stupid that I have to delete it minutes later because it, it rends Finch's mind. Yeah, I got... yeah. Now at least he didn't do sex jokes this episode. At least he didn't do... Lovecraftian <laughs> folks, it's very good. Uh, See you all next week. Hell yeah. Go ahead. Hi. Um, during your speech, you made a lot of references to Jewish people as well as certain people in your audience, not Jewish people in general, but certain people, especially in your audience, to Nazis. Now, that is extremely offensive when certain people are German, and they're also extremely offensive to people who have actually suffered under Nazi rule. I don't respect that anymore. I really don't. I don't like and I don't respect the crocodile tears to, to, to the crocodile tears. No. Uh, I'm so, folks, um, allow me to finish. And allow me to, allow me to finish. Listen, sir. Allow me to finish. Allow me to finish. Uh, sir, sir, I don't like to play. I don't like to play before an audience the Holocaust card. But since now I feel now I feel compelled to, my late father was an Auschwitz. My late mother, please shut up. It's
you had any heart in you, you would be crying for the Palestinians, not for the Syrians. Could I just calm the audience? I've never been in a crowd like this. They're nuts.